you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. Let every nation know, whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of all. What up, what up? This is your boy Rob Clark, welcoming you to the 22 November Network. Get ready for another exciting edition of the Lone Gunman Podcast, featuring me, that's right, your boy Rob Clark, coming at you. Stay tuned. Be right there. show episode number 43 that's right 43 i'm sure that number has some significance somewhere but not here because it's just episode number 43 baby this is your boy rob clark this is the loon gumman podcast and tonight we're going to tie up some loose ends here from the past couple shows uh Specifically with uh, Judith Baker and the show I did with Doug about uh, Fred Christman. So let's get right into it, okay? Um, Let's start with uh, Miss Judy. Now, since I put out the podcast, of course there's been backlash. But there has been support. A lot of support, quite frankly. And I'd like to thank all those out there who uh, shared the podcast, liked the podcast, commented on the podcast, and and, uh, and had my back out there a little bit. And, and you know, of course, Judy's commented on all, damn near everywhere I posted it. And of course, she hasn't even listened to it yet, okay? And like she, like she likes to tell people... Well, you haven't read my book. You haven't even read my book yet. Read the book. Everything's in the book. Well, no, it's not. Everything is not in the book. And since I posted that podcast, you know, a lot of people have come out with some very interesting articles. All the ones that I pointed to in the last one and a couple that I missed. And, excuse me, I'd like to highlight uh, Glenn... 
Vikland, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. He is, yes, he's a lone nutter. But he did a very good article about uh, Judy lying about her citizenship uh, uh, for Switzerland, about them letting her stay there. When in fact, she they did not give her asylum. Her application was rejected and they booted her out of the country. And this is all supported by Judy's own documentation that she offered up as proof. Now, apparently, Glenn is or lives in Switzerland or is a Switzerland native, Swiss native. Um, but he did a very, very lengthy expose type article all about it. And I'll link that up in the uh, at the, at the uh, uh, WordPress site for everybody to go check out. And also, I'd like to highlight, and I'm going to mess your last name up, I know it, so I apologize in advance. Matthew Shufala, and I hope I'm getting it right. If not, I apologize. Um, why is it all these people have damn hard names to uh, pronounce? But, um, so Matthew Shufala, he wrote an article about how there's no way in hell that Judith Baker could have met Carrie Thornley, as she alleges in her book. He just simply, based on research and evidence, was not in New Orleans... Okay, when Judith Baker was in New Orleans, he was in California. So this business about them meeting Carrie Thornley and him taking their picture and her seeing Carrie Thornley just roll up in uh, Lee, Lee Oswald's house to see Marina when, when he wasn't there without even knocking, you know, like he was having an affair with her. It's all nonsense. Nonsense. Okay. And. That is another very good article I'd like to point to. And I'll link that up at the site. And also, Carmine Savastano. I'm going to mess your name up too. Savastano. I hope I'm getting that right. I apologize if I'm not. Um, had a very good article in, uh, on his Two Princes and a King blog. And I will link that up. I forgot. I did link it last time, but I forgot to talk about it. And he raises up some very, very interesting questions. That everybody needs to go read. So head back to the last blog post about Punch and Judy. And you'll see a link to his blog. And you know like I mentioned before. Trish, Trish and Zach had their debunking of the pixelation study. You know there's all kinds of. She's getting barraged right now. From left and right. You know she claims to not be able to, to listen to my podcast. But it, you know if you have a computer. You should be able to listen to it. If you have a tablet, if you have a phone, anywhere you can access Facebook. If she's on Facebook, there's no reason in hell that she can't listen to my show. No reason whatsoever. All, you know, it's, it's posted up in iTunes if she has Apple stuff. It's on Stitcher if she doesn't. You know, and Spreaker. You can listen to, you can listen on the computer, you can listen on your phone, your iPad, you know, whatever, your iPhone, your Android phone, your Windows phone, you know, it's even on Blueberry, you know, if you have a Roku box or, or Windows phone or, or Blackberry, <laughs> I'm trying to make it easy to listen, and there's plenty of links out there, and there's no reason whatsoever that she can't listen to it, but she just assumes that, you know, I'm just beating her up for 45 minutes straight. Which, if you want to take it that way, you can, you know. And, and she was like, and the title suggests, you know, 
causing bodily harm to myself. And no, because I explained in the very beginning of the last show that um, that's not my intention. You know, there's these old marionettes called Punch and Judy, you know, back in the black and white days. I'm sure she's old enough to remember Punch and Judy. You know, it was a comedy show. Okay, and since all these all these researchers and authors are taking shots at her, throwing punches, if you will, it's a play on words, people. Punching Judy. It's a play on words. It's not a literal uh, command for everybody to beat Judith Baker up on sight. That's not what I'm saying at all. Okay, and here's the deal: what Judith Baker needs to realize is. That her story is going to be examined by researchers. It's what we do, okay, when it comes to the JFK assassination. At least that's what smart researchers do. She's got plenty of sheep that follow her blindly who believe whatever she says and don't question a thing, okay? Plenty of them. I run into them all the time. A couple hours ago, as a matter of fact, I ran into another one, you know? And I explained it in a lengthy detail why he should question her story. And it's like they just ignore it. And it just, you know, they don't want to address what's, they don't want to address anything whatsoever. So that's the problem we face here. Now, for me personally, her story doesn't really impact that much. I mean, her mission is to exonerate Lee Oswald and paint him as some kind of a hero. Now, you know, for everybody out there, you know, this is something that, that conspiracy theorists and lone nutters can come together on. And that's total fanatics, fanaticist horseshit. Okay? There's enough clutter in the research community as we speak when it comes to this Oswald Innocence campaign and this, that, and the other. Okay? You know, I don't agree with the lone nutters that Oswald acted alone. Okay? I'm not even sure if Oswald acted at all, but I'm open to the possibility that that he did act. But if he did act, it damn sure wasn't of his own volition. And this is due to the contacts and the people that he was associating with. Okay. And coming up in the next, you know, the second part of this podcast, when we're getting to Fred Christman, I'm going to explain it to you in a little bit more detail. Um, because I think this man and his associates were a lot more important than people want to point to. He's often the forgotten, the forgotten man of the uh, the assassination. Now, or someone that you know people haven't really spent a lot of time on. But back to Judy for a second. You know, it is our right as human beings and Americans to question whatever the hell we want to question. Okay. And for us JFK researchers who have spent years and countless hours, you know, reading and soaking in information and documents and, and reading evidence, examining photographs and trying to piece this thing together. It is my right to question anybody who has something to say about the JFK assassination. Okay, because in my mind, if you got some kind of a story or a theory, you better be able to back it up with something other than your words. Okay? And I don't care if you were there or not. You know, there's a lot of people that claim to have been there. 
Okay, if we believed everybody that came forward with a story, okay, we would have James Files and Paul Gibson behind the picket fence on the grassy knoll. We'd have Johnny Roselli in the storm drain firing. We'd have Lloyd Factor and Mac Wallace up in the sixth floor window. You know, we'd have George Bush running a hit team with uh, who the hell knows up, up in the Dow Tech building. You know, we'd have Harry Weatherford up on the roof of the of the uh, the Dallas County uh, Records building. You know, we'd have Charles Harrelson, Chauncey Holt, E. Howard Hunt, Frank Sturgis. We'd have all them tramping around back there in the rail yard. Okay, and you know all these people. Oh, don't forget Dave, Dave, uh, David Sanchez Morales. He also admitted to, uh, you know, off in the Kennedys, you know, with LB, with LBJ planning and everything, you know, I mean, come on people, you can't believe everybody just because it makes for a nice story and it, and it ties everything together in a nice, neat little boat and it's over. It's not that simple. It hasn't been that simple for 50 years. If it has been that simple, if it would have been that simple, people would have solved this case by now. But they haven't. You know, we have a lot of pieces to the puzzle, but it's hard to put them together. And just because Judith Baker was in New Orleans and she worked at the same place Lee Oswald did, does not mean that they had, A, they had an affair, B, they even knew each other, okay, C, they were working on some kind of fast-acting cancer, which, like I pointed out to somebody earlier today, you know, they like everybody likes to point to Dr. Mary's monkey and how it, how it matches me and Lee. Well, yeah, it does match me and Lee. You know why? Because his first book didn't didn't have Lee Oswald, didn't have uh, bioweapon, fast acting cancer, and didn't have Judith Baker. Okay, Judith Baker came to him and said, "I read your book. I can tell you it's all true and more because I was there. I was in the middle of it." Okay, so he rewrote his book to match Judith's story. Then he helped her write her book. So, yeah, they're going to match, people. They're going to match. Go back and read his first book, Mary, Fairy, and the Monkey Virus. And you tell me what makes more sense, okay? Alt Noxter, okay, made these polio vaccines, you know, claimed how the safe they were. They gave, he gave them to his own grandkids, and he killed one of them and maimed the other one. And, you know, you can't tell me that he probably was trying to find either the problem with the vaccine or a cure, okay? Something that he maybe couldn't do officially. It had to be maybe off the books a little bit. And maybe Mary Sherman and David Ferry were involved in. Okay, maybe. You know, I'll buy that much. Okay, but this business about this ragtag crew of... <laughs> You know, a former trader or spy, whatever whatever you want to look at him as. He had no formal training whatsoever in anything medical, anything scientific. Okay, Lee Oswald. You had David Ferry, who was a self-taught, you know, hypnotist. You know, whatever he was, you know, he was a pilot. You know, he was a wannabe, wanted to be a religious man, you know, pedophile, whatever you want to call him. He was not a scientist. He might have been smart. But he had no formal training. So you're going to tell me this ragtag crew 
okay, of this guy with no training, that guy with no training. You have Mary Sherman who didn't get her hands dirty and all this. She was basically saying, telling them what to do. And some naive 18-year-old, fresh, you know, fresh-faced and, and, and whatever from Florida. You know, you're going to bring her into this ragtag crew, okay, you supposedly have making a bioweapon using nuclear radiated materials, okay? And you're telling me the government is going to be okay with this? You know, I mean, God damn, they could, they could have blown something up. They could have started a, you know, a pandemic for all, you know, for all we know. This kind of work, okay, if there is a, such a thing as fast-acting cancer, it would have been developed in a clandestine medical lab somewhere like Fort Detrick. Under tightly controlled conditions, sterilized conditions, with people that knew what the hell they were doing. Okay, and with ready access to the materials that they needed to do it. It would not have been done in David Ferry's dirty ass apartment in New Orleans. That's my opinion. Okay, because it makes sense. You know, and everybody likes to point to Jack Ruby about the fast acting cancer. Well, and I don't know if I said it in the last one, but if you look at pictures of his mugshot from 1957 and compare it to the one, <clears throat> excuse me, in 1963, he goes from, you know, this thick neck, you know, kind of well built Goomba looking dude to this frail looking guy. He likely was already sick. Okay. Now, his trial started very early in 64, okay? So, he was in prison, you know, very, very quickly, you know? And, and if he was likely already kind of sick, you know, multiply that with the stress he was under and his psychosis, if he actually thought that people were trying to kill him, <clears throat> you know, the mind can do crazy things, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, using placebos, we can replicate the effects of medicine on our bodies if we believe okay that what we're taking for example can help our headache if we take a sugar pill and somebody says no this is tylenol it'll help your headache we take it we believe it's tylenol and you know what our headache's gone but it really wasn't tylenol it really didn't have acetaminophen in it it was just sugar but if our minds perceive that something is going to help us or hurt us, okay, then it can affect the body, either positively or negatively. So the, all this fast-acting cancer nonsense, just throw it out the window, because there's no proof whatsoever that this happened. If they, wanted, if they wanted Jack Ruby to die in prison, all they had to do was pay somebody to shank his ass, or give him the old, uh, you know, hang him in the jail cell with a bed sheet and be done with it. Okay, there's no reason to inject him with a fast-acting cancer. Come on, people. Now, moving on to Fred Lee Chrisman. A lot of people complained because um, they couldn't hear me very clearly on Doug's show. So, I just wanted to go over a couple things of interest about Mr. Chrisman that maybe we didn't get to talk about as much on Doug's show as I would have liked to. Um, just a little bit about Fred Chrisman, born in 1919 in Tacoma, Washington. 
graduated from high school in 39 at the age of 20, attended Eastern Oregon College in Oregon for a short time before going to work for the Union Pacific Railroad and joining the military in 1942. Chrisman married Philomena Verstein in 1941. They had a son, Fred Jr., and a daughter, Chris. His daughter was killed in a car accident in 1964. Christmas served in World War II in the Korean conflict as a fighter pilot, attaining the rank of captain between the years of his service and the two wars. He worked for the Washington State Department of Veterans Affairs in Seattle in 46 and 47. In 47, he became a well-known protagonist along with his friend and, and business partner, Harold Dahl, in the famous Maury Island UFO incident near Tacoma, Washington. He was later a teacher and school administrator in a number of high schools in Washington and Oregon, and he worked for Boeing Aircraft Company in Seattle for two years in the early 60s. He was also a freelance writer, writing books, speeches, and campaign materials for many political figures, including state governors and members of Congress. <coughs> in the 60s, late 60s, he moved back to his native Tacoma, Washington, and became involved in a highly charged political struggle in which he and friends and colleagues sought to end the city management form of government. As part of this struggle, Chrisman became well-known and controversial as the host of a radio talk show using the name John Gold. He wrote a book in about the period called Murder of a City, uh, Tacoma, published in 1970. In 68, he was subpoenaed by Jim Garrison to appear before a grand jury that was part of the Garrison investigation into the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Early in 75, he married Frances Borden, whom he had met while he was a member of the Tacoma Library Board of Trustees. He had been appointed to the board in 1970 by the outgoing mayor, Slim Rasmussen. Uh, Chrisman died at the age of 56 of kidney failure in Seattle Veterans Hospital, December 10, 1975. Now, let's open Pandora's box here, okay? Because... Chrisman, now what I just read you is his sanitized biography, okay? The real Fred Chrisman, okay? Now, Clay Shaw appears to have been involved in Project Paperclip, which was a top secret, top secret intelligence operation that began in 1945 with, when our, with our win over Nazi Germany. It was a deeply covert program to bring Hitler's secret weapons and their designers to America. Among the, among the aeroforms the Nazis had developed were strangely configured jet-propelled aircraft, the likes of which had never been seen, including UFO-type aircraft and the Bell. Two years later, in June 1947, a number of aircraft that looked very similar to some that had been on the Nazi drawing boards were seen flying in and around Washington State. The location of several aerospace defense contractors, which were benefiting from the secret paperclip operation Shaw was a part of. Okay, it is said that um, Warner Von Braun surrendered to Clay Shaw. Okay. Now, it's, it's hard to, uh, you know, put all these pieces together, but I'm going to try. Okay, now, 20 years later than the Maury Island incident, okay, Garrison linked Chrisman to Clay Shaw. Government records indicate that Chrisman was much more than a lowly harbor patrol officer. 
Available evidence also suggests he knew a lot more about the aircraft Dahl saw than he admitted. Aircraft, uh, some intelligence sources believe, were hybrids of those designed by the Nazi engineers who were brought to the U.S. under Project Paperclip. In 1967, when Garrison launched his investigation of Shaw, whose intelligence background was not yet documented, Paperclip had been secret for nearly two decades. <clears throat> okay, so let's... Uh, Let's look at Shaw's CIA background. Okay, documents surfaced in 1977 showing that Clay Shaw had worked for the CIA since 1949. He had also been in business with former Nazis and European fascists involved in several CIA-supported covert operations throughout Europe. There is strong evidence he had been a member of the OSS. He certainly had worked for a top OSS officer who was involved in paperclip. But did Chrisman know Shaw for those days? It's possible. Chrisman is said to have been attached to the OSS. Intelligence sources say he was a member of a secret fraternity of former intelligence officials. Other sources swear he was involved in gun running and closely tied to organized crime. Sound familiar? Jack Ruby. Um, According to Garrison's information, Chrisman knew Shaw well. One of Garrison's informants said Chrisman was the first man Clay Shaw called after being told he was in trouble. The same source added that Chrisman flies to New Orleans steadily. Okay, 1964, 11 times, 65, 17 times, 66, 32 times, 67, 24 times. He seems to have no income and certainly spends a large sum of money on air travel. Okay, <clears throat> now, uh, in 67, a year before Garrison announced his subpoena of Chrisman, Harold Dahl corresponded with UFO researcher Gary Leslie, in which he said Chrisman has been in the Deep South for some time. Certain government agencies are very interested in his movements at all times. He sometimes drops out of sight for months and returns just as quietly. I do not know how he supports his manner of living, but he never lacks for money. Garrison's office issued a press release October 31, 1968. It read, our information indicates that since the early 60s, Chrisman has made many trips to New Orleans and Dallas area in connection with his undercover work for that part of the warfare industry engaged in the manufacture of what is termed in military language a hardware, meaning those weapons sold to the U.S. government that are uniquely large and expensive. According to FBI records on Chrisman, disclosed under the uh, FOIA Act, and on file at the Assassination Archives and Research Center, Chrisman was a captain in the Army Air Corps and had flown during World War II from 46 to 47. He was employed as a special investigator on, on uh, veterans matters for the state of Washington. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, where do we go from here? Here's the problem. When we're getting getting into talking about uh, Fred Chrisman. You can't talk about Fred Chrisman and Clay Shaw without talking about Thomas Beckham. And Thomas Beckham said a lot during his immunized testimony that he gave to the HSCA. And... If you go back and look at his garrison testimony, he didn't he didn't give him anything. He didn't say anything. Crispin didn't give Garrison anything. You know, they were pretty much working blind. 
They didn't admit to anything. But now this is going to come from uh, from Joan Mellon's research, okay? Who actually got to interview Thomas Beckham, and Beckham told her that Oliver Stone had managed to find his cell phone number and call him. He denied his identity. I don't know anyone by that name, ma'am, Beckham told the caller. Stone put it, paid his witness and consultant so Beckham could have enjoyed both fame and fortune should he have signed on to the film JFK, but he chose not to and stay under the radar. Beckham also took the risk of, dis- of my discovering that not only had he been a con man over the years, it was what saved his life because his scams rendered him impeachable. But he continued in, in certain dubious practices while he was talking to me. Con men are no more or less are no more or less likely to tell the truth than the white collar Enron types, as I learned during the process of writing a biography on Lillian Hellman. Liars don't always lie. Now, in nineteen sixty three in New Orleans, Beckham was a young man tapped by the CIA to be trained at a Virginia facility. He was to be an alternative patsy and take the blame for the assassination should Oswald vanish into the night. Tommy Beckham was not informed of the purpose of his CIA training that spring of 63. The same was true for Lee Oswald, who was instructed by his New Orleans CIA handlers David Ferry and a CIA operative named Clay Shaw, the managing director of the International Trademark. Oswald was ordered to apply for a job at the East Louisiana State Hospital at Jackson. Ferry and Shaw drove Oswald up to Jackson from New Orleans. Now, this was being done, you know, to make Oswald seem like more of a nut job. Now, when arrested by Jim Garrison, Clay Shaw denied that he knew David Ferry. No matter that the whole town had saw them together, he counted on the CIA to protect him. Yet I was able to find a witness to a, a loan document Ferry had taken out so that he could rent an airplane to fly to Dallas. Listen, to Dallas the week before the assassination. Ferry later told both the FBI and the Secret Service that he had not been in Dallas for 8 to 10 years. Clearly a lie. The co-signer of that note was Clay Shaw. Jim Garrison, defamed over the years, was prescient and right and is owed a posthumous apology. Thomas Edward Beckham also handed me the original. Listen to this, people. Handed her the original of a government document describing his CIA training and why the CIA had concluded that he could be of use to them. This document had been given to him years earlier by a CIA handler, a man named Fred Lee Chrisman. Okay? Listen. CIA handler, a man named Fred Lee Chrisman. As an explanation of how CIA had utilized him, its letterhead is not CIA, but United States Army Air Defense Command out of Colorado Springs. And yes, such an outfit does exist. Beckham told Joan Mellon that his original handler in New Orleans was a strange character named Jack Martin. You don't find identity cards confirming someone is CIA, just as you don't find Communist Party membership cards. Jim Garrison's investigation inspired CIA to conduct a trace search on Jack Martin, but it's a very generic name. <clears throat> so, they bombarded the CIA with requests for records on Jack Martin, uh, John J. Martin, Jack M. Martin, Lawrence M. Martin, John M. Martin, Edward Suggs, Joseph James Martin, and for good name or for good measure, we threw in Beckham's other CIA handler, Fred Lee Chrisman. CIA acknowledged that they were three separate Jack Martin files. 
blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> now, in a batch of the CIA documents came an interesting letter. It demonstrates, and is the only internal document to do so, that Fred Lee Christman, listen up, people, Fred Lee Christman, Beckham's lifetime handler, was indeed CIA. This letter refers to documents identifying Christman's agency connections obtained by the sender, whose name is obliterated. This anonymous individual worked for a section of the agency different than Christman's. He managed to obtain Christman's file through his own internal connections. Now he urges that it be made known that Christman served only a part of the CIA. That's important. And that Christman's agency activities even be made public. The document is dated September 13, 1969. It reveals internal conflict with the CIA that matches President Kennedy's own battle with the clandestine service. So not everyone knew about the utilization of Oswald or Beckham. Not every component was in on the plot to murder President Kennedy. All right. Now, why is this important? Okay. Here's why it's important. And here's where we're going to start tying some things together. Okay, now in Beckham's HSCA testimony, he states very clearly <clears throat> that Fred Lee Christman represented something called, in quotes, the organization. Okay, he didn't call it the CIA. He didn't call it whatever, whatever it was. He called it the organization. You know, whenever he needed something, that's who he called. Okay, he got his walking papers, his orders from Fred Lee Christman. Whenever he had a problem, he called Fred Lee Crispin to help him out. Crispin told him where to go, where to move, what to say, what to do. Okay? Now, in New Orleans, a week before the assassination, Beckham tells of a meeting in G. Ray Gill's office. G. Ray Gill was the lawyer for Carlos Marcello. He states very clearly that Victor Marcello, Clay Shaw, David Ferry, Okay, Jim Braden and possibly Leighton Martins. I'm not sure, 100% sure on that. We're in this lawyer's office as they prepared a packet, okay, for um, Thomas Beckham to take to Dallas, which he did, to deliver to Lawrence Howard at the executive, saying at the executive end. A week before the assassination. And when he got to Dallas and when he met Lawrence Howard, Interpen mercenary, Cuban raider, okay, cold-blooded killer, Lawrence Howard. You know, he shook out this, this packet of stuff, you know, it's, it's diagrams, it's notes, it's pictures. And he was pissed because something was missing. And he told, he gave him a message to take back. You know, that he was pissed and, and so, that such and such thing was missing. And he did. And he goes back to New Orleans to deliver the message. Now, there's also allegations that, that Beckham was in Dallas that day, November 22nd. It's hard to say, you know. <clears throat> that's, one, that's one thing I like to look more into. And exactly what he was doing if he was there. But... Back to what Beckham asserted. Okay, now Beckham also stated that he, that he met with Lee Oswald when he was handing out the, the leaflets in front of the uh, the trademark in New Orleans. And there's a picture that looks a hell of a lot like Thomas Beckham in his pompadour haircut. 
you know, standing back in the in the background as Oswald's handing his leaflets out. He says, he says him and Lee Oswald after that went to get a coke and they were talking and and Oswald told him, "Don't worry, the chief's got my back." Now, who's the chief? Is it Hoover? Or is he referring to Bannister? You know, or or some some other ominous person. I don't know. Okay, but you got Beckham admitting that he knew Lee Oswald. That he had met him before. Okay? You know, and they were on speaking terms to the point where they could go grab a Coke together. Okay? Now, why is it important that Beckham went to to deliver this stuff to Lawrence Howard because it ties in the planners and the mechanics. Okay. Because you can make damn sure Fred Lee Christman or, uh, you know, Clay Shaw wasn't shooting at Jack Kennedy. Believe that. Okay. They helped facilitate it, but they weren't actually the actual mechanics. And when you, when you tie in Lawrence Howard, you know, to doing what they were doing with Lauren Hall and, and William Seymour running guns and drugs from coast to coast, you know, doing these campaign stops, these speeches, putting these cans out, collecting money. <clears throat> they were running stuff from California through Dallas, New Orleans to Florida and back again. They had ties to the John Birch Society. They had ties with General Edwin Walker. Okay, which is going to be important here in a second. And all points in between, from coast to coast. And Thomas Beckham helped Lawrence Hall and Lauren Howard. He helped them get this this uh, offering can business you know, going and helping them out. Because he used to do the same thing for the churches, the fake churches with the fake bishops. And all this and that. Because he was a con man. Beckham was a con man. Okay? He knew how to make money. He knew how to con people out of money. That was his specialty. Okay? He's a bullshit artist. And I want to read you something. Okay? That was sent to J. Edgar Hoover. And the date and the timing of this is very important to remember. Okay? Now, <clears throat> excuse me, it was uh, April 8th, 1963. Now, General Walker had just been shot at, okay, a week before this. I think it was on April 10th, 9th or 10th. And going back and listening to what Paul Trejo was telling Doug on his show about DeMorn Shield going to the Oswald's house and... You know, while George is talking to Lee, you know, his wife, Jean, is walking around the house and she finds the rifle and she hollers out, hey, George, I found the rifle. And George says something to Lee Oswald like, ah, uh, oh, you must have been the one that shot at General Walker. And it got real awkward and real quiet. And, you know, then he kind of broke the silence. He was like, ah, oh, just kidding, just kidding, you know. But the next day, okay. The DeMora Shields are out. They roll out for Haiti, never to be seen again in Dallas. Okay? Somebody dropped a dime. The word somehow got back to General Walker very quickly that it was Oswald that took a shot at him. Okay? And very quickly, okay, 
And I'm talking within days, a week. Okay, we have this correspondence. Um, it says, urgent, 4-18-63, p.m. to the director from SAIC Los Angeles. Dr. Stanley Drennan, IS Cuba, is the subject. And they have a name redacted here who has furnished reliable information in the past to Los Angeles. Advised that Dr. Stanley Drennan, Dr. Stanley Drennan, with offices at 3550 West 8th Street, Los Angeles, advised him April 17th last, that means the day before, that somebody called the organization, in quotes, was going to have a discussion that would take place at Poor Richard's Bookshop, which is owned and operated by FX Renuzzi. Now, remember when I told you, okay, and this is, let's see, almost 15 years before Thomas Beckham admitted to Fred Christman being the, being the front man for something called the organization. This memo is from 1963, okay, and Beckham didn't admit to it, and it's very unlikely that he would ever have seen this memo, okay. The organization was going to have a discussion that would take place at Poor Richard's Bookshop, which is owned and operated by FX Renuzzi. Drennan stated that uh, they would discuss plans to assassinate President Kennedy, Attorney General Kennedy, and some unidentified members of Congress. uh, Stated that would have an individual do it who was not a member of the John Birch Society and thereby would be no reflection on the group. Now, Drennan stated this action necessary in view of the post position and the administration's position against the continued fight against communism in favor of coexistence and work through United Nations. So they were pissed that our administration was wanting to work with the Russians and that they weren't hard enough against communism. Drennan has hatred for uh, administrator. I can't, some of this is cut off on the sides. I'm sorry. Uh, former President Eisenhower and other American leaders not identified. He supports General Walker. He supports General Walker and current Cuban raiders. Drennan engaged in collecting materials, drugs, guns, and clothing to be shipped to Cuban raiders, place unknown. Something service, Los Angeles, or Secret Service, Los Angeles is advised. Letterhead memo follows. Received at 727. Okay. It says intelligence containing the above message is is to be disseminated or no no intelligence containing the above message is to be disseminated outside the Bureau. So this is a straight off the teletype decoded copy of a radio transmission from the SAIC in Los Angeles to Hoover himself. And this is a week after they had shot at General Walker, allegedly Oswald, most likely Oswald. Okay, why is this significant? Because, as Doug would like to tell you about the Agent Jerome Crow uh, fiasco going on with getting that 30-06, it was Jerry Hemming's rifle, out of Los Angeles and taking it to Dallas. Okay, this was Lauren Hall. This was Lawrence Howard. And when, and when, and when L.J. Delsa, the HSCA investigator, 
Okay, when he went and interviewed Lawrence Howard at his house, a couple hours later he walked out and he looked at his partner and he said, I think we just talked to the son of a bitch that killed John F. Kennedy. No doubt. So, anyway, that's just me throwing some shit together in my head, putting some puzzle pieces together out there, putting it out there, putting a cap on all this Judith Baker nonsense so we can move on, keep researching, you know. It's okay to get distracted sometimes, but it's even more important to get back on track, people. Okay? Moving on to bigger and better things, getting back on the horse. Everybody head to 22novembernetwork.wordpress.com. Check out Doug's show, The Dallas Action. Thank you all for listening. It's been cool. This one's done. Sending this some bitch up to the satellite, beaming it down directly to your ears. This is your boy Rob Clark. Peace. right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.